Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Mark 15, verses 16 to 32, and then through J.C. Rao's expository thoughts in Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 15, verses 16 to 32. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from your cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified him also reviled him. This is the word of the Lord. The passage we have now read is one of those which show us the infinite love of Christ towards sinners. The suffering described in it would fill our minds with mingled horror and compassion if they had been reflected on one who was only a man like ourselves. But when we reflect that the sufferer was the eternal Son of God, we are lost in wonder and amazement. And then when we reflect further that these sufferings were voluntarily endured to deliver sinful men and women like ourselves from hell, we may see something of Paul's meaning when he says, The love of Christ passes knowledge. God commends his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 3.19 and Romans 5.8 We shall find it useful to examine separately the several parts of our Lord's passion. Let us follow him step by step from the moment of his condemnation by Pilate to his last hour upon the cross. There is a deep meaning in every jot and tittle of his sorrows. All were striking emblems of spiritual truths. Let us not forget, as we dwell on the wondrous story, that we and our sins were the cause of all these sufferings. Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18 It is the death of our own surety and substitute that we are reading. First of all, we see Jesus delivered into the hands of the Roman soldiers as a criminal condemned to death. He before whom the whole world will one day stand and be judged, allowed himself to be sentenced unjustly and given over into the hands of wicked men. And why was this? It was that we, the poor, sinful children of man, believing on him might be delivered from the pit of destruction and the torment of the prison of hell. 
It was that we might be set free from every charge in the day of judgment and be presented faultless before God the Father with exceeding joy. Secondly, we see Jesus insulted and made a laughing stock by the Roman soldiers. They clothed him with purple, in derision, and put a crown of thorns on his head in mockery of his kingdom. They smote him on the head with a reed and spit on him as one utterly contemptible and no better than the filth of the world. 1 Corinthians 4.13 And why was this? It was that we, vile as we are, might have glory, honor, and eternal life through faith in Christ's atonement. It was done that we might be received into God's kingdom with triumph on the last day and receive the crown of glory that fades not away. Thirdly, we see Jesus stripped of his garments and crucified naked before his enemies. The soldiers who led him away parted his garments, casting lots upon them. And why was this? It was that we, who have no righteousness of our own, might be clothed in the perfect righteousness that Christ has wrought out for us, and not stand naked before God on the last day. It was done that we, who are all defiled with sin, might have a wedding garment, wherein we may sit down by the side of angels and not be ashamed. Fourthly, we see Jesus suffering the most ignominious and humiliating of all deaths, even the death of the cross. It was the punishment reserved for the worst of malefactors. The man on whom it was afflicted was counted accursed. It was written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Galatians 3.13 And why was this? It was that we, who are born in sin and children of wrath, might be counted blessed for Christ's sake. It was done to remove the curse which we all deserve because of sin by laying it on Christ. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 Fifthly, we see Jesus reckoned a transgressor and a sinner. With him they crucified two thieves. He who had done no sin, in whom there was no deceit, was numbered with the transgressors. And why was this? It was that we who are miserably transgressors, both by nature and practice, may be reckoned innocent for Christ's sake. It was done that we, who are worthy of nothing but condemnation, may be counted worthy to escape God's judgment and be pronounced not guilty before the assembled world. Lastly, we see Jesus mocked when dying as one who was an impostor and unable to save himself. And why was this? It was that we, in our last hours, through faith in Christ, may have strong consolation. It all came to pass that we may enjoy a strong assurance, may know whom we have believed, and may go down the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil. Let us leave the passage with a deep sense of the enormous debt which all believers owe to Christ. All that they have, and are, and hope for, may be traced up to the doing and dying of the Son of God. Through his condemnation, they have acquittal. Through his sufferings, peace. Through his shame, glory. Through his death, life. Their sins were imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to them. No wonder that Paul says, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Finally, let us leave the passage with the deepest sense of Christ's unutterable love for our souls. Let us remember that we are corrupt, evil, 
and miserable sinners. Let us remember who the Lord Jesus is, the eternal Son of God, the Maker of all things. And then let us remember that for our sakes, Jesus voluntarily endured the most painful, horrible, and disgraceful death. Surely the thought of his love should constrain us daily to live not unto ourselves, but unto Christ. It should make us ready and willing to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him who lived and died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.4 and Romans 12.1 Let the cross of Christ be often before our minds. Rightly understood, no object in all Christianity is so likely to have a sanctifying as well as a comforting effect on our souls. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard today, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following question? Brothers and sisters, I actually just want to close with a quote from Mike McKinley's book, Friendship with God. He says, Communion with Jesus, then, means letting our minds dwell upon the power of his blood and the wonderful gift of being set free from the pollution of sin. He goes on to say, One moment's communion with Christ by faith herein is more effectual to the purging of the soul, to the increase of grace, than the utmost self-endeavors of a thousand ages. End quote. And so my only question is, Do we see the love of God for us in Christ as we read these words in Mark? Do we let our minds go here more than just in an Easter service? If McKinley is right, shouldn't we let our minds dwell upon the power of his blood often?